Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today on the line for our series on women in the judiciary is High Court Judge Lindiwe Vukea from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much and thanks to your listeners. Judge Vukea, to start with, you earned your BPROC degree from the University of the North. You went on to be a candidate attorney, a public prosecutor, a magistrate, served as an acting judge of the High Court in the North Gauteng region, thereafter acting judge of the High Court in Mpumalanga province, and then elevated to the bench as a permanent judge. Did you always envisage a legal career and eventually becoming part of the judiciary? To be honest with you, Doctor, I never thought I would one day become a judge. I just want to start from the Growing up, I thought I was going to be an actress, you know, anything in the entertainment industry, radio, uh, just like you. Um, I even intended to study speech and drama because I believe that it was going, I was going to be good at that. Uh, but my teachers at uh, the high school at Njindini, uh, high school in Babaton, believed I would make a good lawyer because I was very argumentative. I participated in debate competitions. So in a way, they instilled that belief in me that I was going to make a good lawyer. And, uh, and then it grew in my mind and I started believing it myself, such that when I got to the university, my first choice became a BPROC degree. I obtained my degree and I started working in 1996. Every now and then I would still take part in arts and entertainment such that I joined my cousin and his friends in forming what uh, is today the Babaton Community Radio Station. There I took care of their legal issues and I also assisted in obtaining our first broadcasting license. Uh, In the meantime, I also started enjoying my work as a young candidate attorney. And after my articles of clerkship, I took up a permanent position as a public prosecutor. And since then, I have never been able to look back. I had to quit radio. And here I am. I am a judge today. And back on radio for today. And back on radio for that matter. That's such an interesting story. And you know what you say to me is so important about having the right guidance when you're younger, that you've got teachers who can direct your paths and your passions into an appropriate field. Yes, I I was lucky to get that guidance, which many young people these days do not get. The type of education that we went through didn't really allow for one to think broadly and and do certain things, you know. That was then. It was, I think, in 1988-1989. You were all in that mainstream of becoming a teacher, a nurse, a police officer. But my teachers thought, you know what, because you are argumentative, I think uh, we think that the best thing to do would be to become a lawyer. And I followed that stream and uh, I'm very grateful to them. Reflecting for a moment on your career as a judge, 
What would you say have been some of the most memorable cases that you've presided over? As a judge, I've done a lot of civil work, which is very much interesting because it involves this and that, uh, people fighting over money and stuff. But, you know, in the criminal law, um, there are about three cases that I dealt with. Um, I always say that, or I think that I'm a very strong person because I do not take cases to my heart and let my emotions influence my reasoning or my judgment. I always want to be the objective person in my reasoning, but there were about three cases in my career that tested my ability to reason objectively. And I found them very uh, touching and interesting. The first one was what I called the acid case. Though I believe that I finally managed to exercise fairness to the perpetrator and the victim, it wasn't easy. In this case, the one lady had splashed the other lady with acid and bent her face beyond recognition. And the victim even became blind because of this incident. The reason uh, for the fight was that they were engaged in a love triangle with the man who was their boyfriend. That case touched my heart and I had to postpone it for sentence uh, to be able to recompose myself to a state where I could do it without a heavy heart. And in the end, I managed. But it struck me because these were two women who were engaged in a fight because of a man. And that shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that in our society. Women should actually support each other. I also dealt with the case of a a rape of a two-year-old child who was raped by a stepfather who snuck in while the child was uh, taking a nap during the day and he raped her and went back to sit and drink with his friends as if nothing had happened. He was caught because his t-shirt had blood stains and when he returned uh, his friends asked him about the blood stains. That's so but, uh, Yeah, that also touched me because how can a man or a person do something like that? Question is, what has become of our society and the man in our society? Um, the other one was one where a mother murdered her newborn child because of the circumstances under which the child was born. She felt that she could not maintain the child in the absence of the father. She was unemployed and she had other children and was already pulling hard and thought if uh, she killed this child, her burden would be lesser. It was difficult also for me. I postponed the case for days, you know, trying to look at these circumstances and also trying to look at the offense that had been committed. But eventually I managed. I quoted all this case, doctor, because All these cases uh, I have mentioned point out the fact that women and children are still vulnerable in our society. If they do not fight amongst each other over men, they are raped and abused. And they are sometimes left by men who participated in the making of the child to take care of the young ones under difficult circumstances and unbearable circumstances. And the men just continue living their lives. It, it hurts me sometimes and, um, and it touches me. These cases really highlight the realities of the society that we live in. They're not, unfortunately, once-off incidents. They happen repeatedly. 
And I would imagine that it must be incredibly challenging from your side to, to keep your emotions in check and try to look at these instances so objectively when so much damage has been done to people who are vulnerable. I, I should agree with you there, Doctor, because um, you are human after all. You live in a society where these things happen right in front of your eyes sometimes, uh, even though sometimes you don't see them, but you are aware that they are happening. That is why I mostly prefer that before dealing with sentence in such instances, one must just pull out the emotions out of herself. Uh, you do this by postponing the case, going home to think carefully about it and compose yourself and get the anger sometimes or the emotions out of your system to be able to deal with such cases. It is quite challenging, I must say. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're talking to High Court Judge Lindiwe Vukia from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Judge Vukia, you mentioned earlier in the conversation how you and I think it was your, your cousins had created the Barberton Community Radio Station. And you've played an instrumental role in your community. And one of the other areas, for instance, is establishing indigenous language courts in the Barberton subcluster. Please, can you tell us more about this project and some of its achievements? This project was quite interesting and challenging at the same time. Uh, it was a pilot project where the Department of Justice wanted to test if the use of our African indigenous languages was uh, viable in our South African courts. Uh, it was funny to, as an African person, to finally discover how difficult it is to switch from the English legal terms uh, to vernacular. You know, translating those terms and saying them in vernacular. Uh, but be that as it may, we had to identify a predominantly spoken language in the area. Cases would be dealt with without the use of interpreters. So one would have to find a prosecutor and a magistrate to speak the language of the accused. If the court is selected to use a Siswati language, for an example, officials who speak that language are assigned that particular case. This project went well, uh, doctor. Uh, it went well in the beginning. We finalized a good number of cases. We had fun speaking our own language. The accused seemed to be enjoying it. But because we live in a diverse society, people are free to move uh, around, sometimes for greener pastures, sometimes because they just don't want to be there anymore. We started experiencing problems. Maybe a prosecutor who could speak the language decides to take a better offer elsewhere out of the uh, district where this uh, court is open and uh, some new people would come and you find that the person who comes to occupy the position of the prosecutor speaks a different language from the language that's spoken in the area. Therefore, we would have no prosecutor who is going to continue with the indigenous court. 
And that is why the pro pro project was then halted. But I must say, I, I enjoyed working in that court uh, and tried very hard to keep it alive. It sounds like a great project and emphasizes, I'd say, two important areas. One, for people to communicate in their language and language of choice. But in order for that language and language of choice to be operational and effective, that all of the participants are, are speaking the, the same uh, language. And I, I use language in a, a loose term here because if we speaking at cross purposes, um, you know, it, it offers there's opportunities for distortion to to take place. I should agree with you, there, uh, Doctor. Uh, it was such a, a very interesting project, and it, it it highlighted the realities in our society that no matter how much we want to preserve our indigenous languages. Practically, it is not really easy to continue in the world that we live in. We have to find common ground and use that one language that uh, we all understand. And that is very much easy, you know, to work with. So, yeah, that project highlighted uh, some of those problems that we have in a society. So that was one project, but you are someone who seems to be very, if I can use the word, driven, because in the course of your personal development, you've extended your training to cover sexual offences, dealing with vulnerable groups and family law, to mention just a few. And you also give presentations proactively on issues like domestic violence and the abuse of women and children. And, and we see that echoed in the types of cases that you'd highlighted earlier for us as cases that had a significant effect on you and were very memorable. Please, can you tell us what motivates your interest in these topics and being able to disseminate important information on these matters, which really negatively impact a significant number of women in our country? Thank you. Um, these topics are our saddest reality as South Africans. I can also add the issue of maintenance of children as one of the things we struggle with. You should uh, know uh, by now that family law is what I find very interesting and uh, I, I love it. I believe that many of us have experienced one family or the other involved in issues of domestic violence. I grew up in a township and I thought it was just us African people who are affected by this problem. But that was just me being ignorant because when I started working in a court environment, I realized that we may be different in color, but we are similar in many other ways. I started realizing that this problem is actually much bigger than I thought. And uh, that as a community, we needed to sit down and have a conversation with each other to fight this pandemic. And I never missed the opportunity to involve myself and to try and be a part of the solution rather than the problem. Issues like the abuse of alcohol and the drugs are actually our major contributory factor unemployment and a number of children that grow up without their father figures or um, children who grow uh, in the presence of their abusive fathers is also what um, is affecting our society. 
what what I would do uh, as the head of office in Leidenberg, I would encourage uh, people to participate in these talks. Maybe one weekend organize something to sit and talk with uh, other women to try and empower them on how to deal with such issues that affect our community so much. And uh, from there, people would suggest that we need to empower women uh, with education. We need to, you know, if you see a young girl who, who struggles in the society, adopt that young girl and make her problems your problems, you know. Try and resolve her problems and try and push her forward so that even against all odds, she can strive to become a better person because uh, these are the people who are actually affected by the violence in our society. They are affected by the abuse and other things. So what motivated me is the community that I lived amongst and uh, the kinds of problems that we had. And I realized that actually we we do need to have a conversation. That is why I participated mostly in uh, those uh, gatherings where we would discuss our problems as a community and solutions as well. And conversations like that raise awareness because sometimes I think there's a, an adage which says you don't know mm-hmm. what you don't know. So if people think that this is normal when you are exposing that this is not normal, that society can be better, that creates that awareness and, and hopefully a, a spark to drive change. Of course, uh, you know, change uh, will will not just come on its own. You know, you need to work hard as a, a person in order to bring change in the society. You you need to face the problem head on and speak about it and not shy away from it. Because if you do shy away from it, you will not be able to identify it and you will not be able to solve it. So sometimes you solve things by talking about them. That's how I grew up. My my parents taught me that you talk about your issues, you find solutions to your issues, and you you get a way to move on. So if we try and hide that, you know, in a family, uh, an uncle can rape a child, we keep that a secret, then we are not going to solve our problems. In fact, we are making them bigger than, than they were originally. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. We're talking to High Court Judge Lindiwe Vukia from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Judge Vukia, we're talking a lot about women and children in part because this is a gender-based radio program and, yes, because this is Women's Month. And we've spoken about the issue of of sexual offences. And the reality is, unfortunately, that women and girls in particular fall prey to sexual offences. In South Africa, it's estimated that 90% of sexual offences are committed against women, and almost 30% of those crimes go unreported. 
In relation to gender-based crimes, in your opinion, do you think the presence of women judges make the ordeal perhaps less distressing for women when they appear in court as witnesses and survivors? I would really like to say yes, but I'll tell you why I'm going to say no. And I hope you can understand. I hope also the listeners will understand this. Because generally, it would sound more comfortable to put it that way, to say women uh, should sit and preside in cases that involve women and children, because we have a soft spot, uh, naturally. Uh, But I want to believe that all judges, male or female, have a duty to protect the rights of all the citizens of our country and to not bring their personal beliefs into the arena. Members of the society must not be afraid to appear before a male judge in a rape case, for instance. I believe that our society should be such that women are comfortable to talk about these things because they know that men are not going to judge them or that men are not going to favor men because of being men if you understand what I mean. I say this uh, because at some point, men have to have conversations amongst themselves as well. Uh, And if an order or a judgment is made by a man, I believe that other men will see that there is no partiality, but there's uh, impartiality in deciding such cases. And uh, that other men, male judges, for an example, take a stand against gender-based violence and that the message will go through. That that is at least how I, I see things. And all I'm trying to say is that it should not matter in our society who deals with a particular issue. We need to respect each other's voices and be comfortable to express ourselves as women, even where men are presiding over our cases without fear of being victimized and humiliated. Therefore, I'll go back to my answer and say, I wish I could say yes to your question, but uh, uh, because uh, this is how I think our society should start reasoning. I'm saying no. It, it shouldn't be like that. We should be comfortable to tell our stories in front of men who are there to respect our rights. With what you're saying, it echoes the impartiality of the law. Also, and this is something that I hadn't thought about previously, was that when you have got men as judges, that they are ensuring that the law is passed and that people will be punished accordingly. Exactly. And through their judgments, they are making conversations with the society. And my point is, if men are listening and are taking part in these conversations, we are going to be moving forward positively because then men are talking to each other about issues that involve men. Considering aspects of moving forwards, it shocks me that there was a time not too long ago where women couldn't have their own bank account. They couldn't own property. They couldn't seek corporate directorships without the permission of a husband or a male figure. 
In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the most important recent laws or reforms that have been passed in women's best interest? The first one that comes into mind uh, is the one of AS versus another versus GS and another uh, that concerns uh, the 1988 Marriage and Matrimonial Property Law Amendment Act, where the the judge ordered that uh, the provisions of Section 21, subsection 2A of the Matrimonial Property Act, uh, 88 of 1984, be declared unconstitutional and invalid to the extent that it perpetuates uh, discrimination uh, against women. The Constitutional Court went on to confirm this this judgment. And uh, it was such a victory for all the women in the community, especially women who, you know, it was said, you if you enter into a certain marriage, that marriage automatically becomes uh, out of community of property and 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 so on and so forth. So at least uh, women through this case have been given a choice. You know, you can now choose whether you want your marriage in or out of community of property. And you do not just lose your property just because you're a woman. You know, you have a right to uh, inherit and uh, get your property as long as you have entered into the kind of marriage that allows you to inherit. I think that is a cornerstone judgment and it's a landmark one where women uh, are not uh, totally disregarded and their rights are not just uh, thrown out of the window. They are actually recognized. I think as women, we should celebrate some of these judgments. In consideration of rights and celebrating appropriate judgments, the theme of this year's Women's Month is realizing women's rights for an equal future. In the short term, what types of mechanisms do you think we could use to reduce the inequalities that women still experience today? They say that charity begins at home. Um, We should, as families, start empowering our children. Uh, Young girls, for an example, we we are out of those days where people believed that only boys uh, should be raised to uh, take care of their families and be the heads of the families. We are out of those uh, times and eras in our lives. Now, we have to recognize the fact that uh, we are raising young leaders, even if we are raising uh, girl children. So we have to empower our children, you know. Uh, We may not have lost the fight uh, of our women now becoming vulnerable, but we can as well just focus a lot also on our children. As they grow up, uh, they should grow up with the upbringing of knowing that uh, They should actually be able to take care of themselves. They should be self-sufficient. They should be employers. They should be employable. They should not depend on men because that is where we lose the plight. If one is dependent on the men, then you cannot talk about certain things or challenge certain decisions as a woman because the man who is standing in front of you is the one who's taking care of you. So we should actually take that out and uh, rather remove that from the mindset of our people that they can always depend on men. 
and empower our women to be self-sufficient and to, to be able to take care of themselves. Those are all really significant points. And I, I think that they're incredibly strong, particularly about how you nurture young people, how you grow them into leaders, how you start to change mindsets of dependency and for independence to, to foster. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. A program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Malka every week on this day at this time. We're talking to High Court Judge Lindiwe Bukia from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. We, we have to teach them uh, to speak so that they can be able to defend themselves as well. Most of the time, you know, we we, we suppress, we, we teach our children that they should suppress our you know, their emotions and, and not speak out. That is also one of our problems because if something happens in a family, uh, this child is not able to speak out because she was taught not to speak against adults. But it's always important that we allow, we open the channels for our children to be able to speak to us so that they can be able to say no to adults if uh, some certain actions that would result in abuse start showing their their heads or rather their faces. So yes, um, also teaching our children to speak against abuse is important. You've really highlighted the issue of having your voice and being able to use it. Turning to yes more of a personal perspective. One question I wanted to ask you now is about your personal journey and some of the factors that you consider to have been important drivers of your success. Um, you know, I've learned in life that from a broken thing, you can build something. And I, I accepted that and uh, that uh, pushed me to work hard uh, on myself in, in, as I was growing up. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that I come from a broken family. My uh, parents were married, but then they were separated as I was in grade nine, which is standard seven, I believe. Uh, they both went their separate ways and we were left on our own to take care of each other uh, as children, two of my brothers. We continued without parental guidance or protection from our parents. We, we could have dropped out of school, you know. We could have uh, become criminals. We could have done a lot of things without guidance. How did you hold it's, it together? I think the thing is that they created a good foundation before they separated. Of course, you know, you can have a perfect family that is not uh, perfect at all. So they created a good foundation for us. And even though they had 
left and gone their separate ways. Uh, we could still, you know, encourage each other to wake up in the morning and go to school, wake up. Did you write your homework? My big brother would ask sometimes, you know, check us. And we would also check on our younger brother if he was behaving uh, in the manner that we were taught to when we grew up. So the foundation was good. It was not at all bad. It's just that when, when, when parents leave you at an, an age when you need them the most, uh, it, it can have uh, very serious consequences. Luckily, we were able to hold it together. This uh, imperfect family stru structure then made me see that if I do not push harder to make it in life, I will stumble and crash. So it gave me the courage to push even more because I wanted to be a better person. None of my parents could pay for my varsity education. I did not let that stand in my way. I looked for a job and I worked for two years after leaving school and while trying to get a bursary as well. And uh, I got the bursary and I didn't look back. Yeah, I am today. I didn't let that weak family structure, if I may call it that way, I didn't let it break me down. That's such an incredible story, Judge Vukia. You are one of these people that really need to be writing a book. <laughs> I can actually write a whole book. I can write a, a whole book because I think at a very early age, I, I tend to alcohol, but you know, God being God, he always has a way of taking you out of deep muddy clay, like the song goes and placing you where he wants you to be. You know, if you look at my story back then, you will not think that I would have reached, I would have come this far. You've certainly overcome what one would regard as almost insurmountable challenges. Along your journey, have there been any female role models or, or key influences in your life? Yes, although I was uh, not happy that my mother did what she did, but she left me with a good foundation. You know, we all experience hardships in marriages. I will not judge her for the decision that she took. Uh, I think she she's my role model because uh, in a way I, I learned to be strong through her, through what she taught me as a child, through what I saw her going through in her life uh, that she managed to stand. Uh, may her soul rest in peace. But she taught me through her experiences, uh, through the words that she said to me to encourage me to move, even regardless of the situation. I still hold her up high and I think she is my role model because um, she also would pray for me. I knew wherever I was that she was praying for me at all times. When I became weak, she made me strong and, and encouraged me to pray as well. Judge Fouquet, you've shared some incredible moments with us. And at the end of the day, being able to still realize your aspirations and ambitions, what would you like your legacy to be? Um, I want to be remembered as that person who never allowed her upbringing to decide what she can be in life. I want to be known as that person who never limited herself to what she could do, you know, who 
went through all odds to achieve what she has achieved today. Throughout my career, I've worked very hard to come out of poverty and I've applied for better jobs and promotions even where others believed it was impossible. I want to be known and remembered as that one who does not doubt the power of God. If people remember me in that way, even after I've died, it would be a great achievement. Judge Vukea, I found your story in our conversation today to be very touching and very, very inspirational. In recognition of Women's Month, as we close out our talk today, please can you share a few words of motivation or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to women and girls in the continent who are listening to us? I want to say to the young girls out there who are struggling to make ends meet, who are struggling in life, I want to say, do not give up. It's doable. God can change your narrative. God can change your story uh, as long as you believe in yourself. I don't believe that one should just pray and not do anything. I believe that you should pray and you should also push yourself. If you do that, God will realize your struggles. God will see what you are going through and God will pull you through. Do not look down on yourself. If you push harder, God can change your story. You need to be strong to survive in this dog-eat-dog world, to crack it. The time of crying and waiting for someone to wipe off your tears is over. If you fall, stand up and dust yourself off and move on. It is a tough world out there. It needs tough women and tough girls. So I will urge our young women and our children to look beyond their current circumstances and pray to God and work hard to change their narratives. Thank you for that wonderful message, one which is both uplifting and also uncompromising that people owe it to themselves to get on with things. Life is not going to be handed out to you. You have to work hard for it. Yes, it's like that. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the air. Thank you, Dr. Amalia. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to High Court Judge Lindiwe Vukea from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. <laughs>